listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. Coming up on today's show, an effort to bring a new homeless shelter for families to Teton County. No one should be living overnight in their car, and no one should be living with their family crowded in a living room of a teacher. We need, like most communities in America, a place for them to go to get back on their feet. Plus, a conversation with local Grateful Dead cover band, The Deadlocks. Will you be playing the dead until you die? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But first, we turn to the biggest news story of the moment, the war in Ukraine and its impact on American energy. Gas prices in the U.S. have hit record highs since Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine. Some of the reason why has to do with disruptions to the global oil market. But that's not the whole story. KHOL's Kyle Mackey reports on the forces at play and their impact on local residents. Savannah Medina is a mom of seven who lives in Victor, Idaho. She drives a Dodge Durango in order to accommodate her large family, and it doesn't exactly get great gas mileage. Every time I drive past the gas station and see how much gas prices go up, like literally I want to vomit. And when I see my tank start to get below like even halfway, it just, the idea of having to put more than 50 bucks worth of gas in at a time, I, I just want to cry, like straight up hurl or cry. Those are <laughs> my options. Medina also has a closer vantage point to gas prices than most folks because she works part-time at the Marathon gas station just outside of Driggs. And she says she knows prices were already rising well before the war in Ukraine started. I don't correlate the two because, I mean, looking at this time last year, gas was more than a dollar less per gallon. Like, I mean, even six months ago, it was more than a dollar less per gallon than it is now. It's true. The average price for regular gas a year ago was about $2.88 per gallon, according to AAA. As of press time, it's now about $4.29. And Idaho specifically was among the top 10 states in the country with the biggest jump in prices during the first full week in March. Everybody wants to blame it on Biden, but Biden doesn't control gas prices uh, for the people that don't understand that. Uh, It has to do with the world oil prices, and it's supply and demand. Pat Fortino, another Victor resident, is filling up his Ford F-150 pickup. And yes, the world oil market has been shaken by the war. But AAA says the cost of crude oil accounts for about 50% of what drivers pay at the pump. A big piece of the domestic puzzle, analysts say, is that American producers are choosing not to boost supply too much, which would flood the market and push prices down. Brad Handler is a 20-year veteran as a Wall Street equity research analyst in the oil and gas sector. He says investors and creditors pressured American producers to implement more capital discipline coming out of the uncertainty of the COVID-19 pandemic. So they've promised not to pursue too much growth. What that leaves is this interesting scenario because oil companies are on the one hand, or at least some of the industry advocates are saying, we have somehow constrained in what we can do and and the government needs to help us out. But in fact, the constraints are coming from the investor base themselves and oil companies are simply responding to that. Over the past several weeks, Wyoming Representative Liz Cheney has repeatedly called for the U.S. to become the energy arsenal for the world. 
She also echoed the argument Handler mentioned in a recent press call with Wyoming reporters. The Biden administration policies, uh, you know, to shut the Keystone Pipeline, to ban new leases for oil and gas development on public lands, those are those are bad policies. They're misguided and they're certainly bad for Wyoming and, and they're bad for the country. Those are grievances conservative politicians have expressed from day one of the Biden presidency. But even with such policies in place, 2022 is on track to be a strong year for U.S. oil production, with an all-time high forecasted for 2023, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. Reapproving the Keystone Pipeline would also not provide a short-term fix at the pump. The simple truth is that oil and gas companies will say they need more taxpayer subsidies in just about every circumstance, including the current situation in Ukraine. Autumn Hanna is vice president of the national nonpartisan budget watchdog group, Taxpayers for Common Sense. She says oil and gas companies are making record profits while gas prices remain high, and that most subsidies for the industry are unnecessary yet go unquestioned. Still, the Biden administration is trying to encourage more production, both at home and abroad, in order to take some of the pressure off of Americans like Medina and Fortino. Anyways, in your personal life, do you think that those high gas prices are going to change anything for you? I strategize my errand running more because I'm trying to minimize the miles that I drive, the money that I'm spending, you know, in my gas tank. So it affects how I proceed. Uh, I won't drive this truck very much, but sometimes we bought it to have a camper, but we already a trailer, but we already sold that in the spring. Before the gas went up, we just decided... We didn't want a trailer. You get 10 miles a gallon with that. So, Instead, Fortino says he'll be mostly behind the wheel of his Honda Accord. And he might drive over to Jackson to get gas, where the prices are normally a little cheaper. Kyle Mackey, KHL News. Good Samaritan Mission of Jackson Hole is seeking assistance from local government officials to build a transitional family shelter in Teton County. The mission is asking for both special excise tax funding and town land so they can complete the project, which they say will provide vital human services infrastructure that doesn't currently exist locally. KHOL's Will Walkie talked with Bill Vogie, chair of the board of the Good Samaritan Mission, to learn more. Can you talk a little bit about what transitional housing is and why it's important for Jackson Hole? Yeah. Um, Good Samaritan Mission has been operating for 40 years, and it provides a shelter for single men and single women, but it has never offered or been able to offer any type of shelter for families. So our project for the transitional housing is essentially a shelter for families, which most of the time means a mother and one, two, or three children. Each time a person comes to our shelter, we try to find out what led them to become homeless. And for some folks, uh, we have to provide them, get them professional training, help, uh, uh, counseling. Some people at the mission, just because they lost their, their latest lease, and they need a week or two to find a new place to stay. So it varies. Each case is unique, and our job is to try to get them so they returned to independent living. 
I, I have a feeling a lot of listeners might say, hey, I know we have a housing problem in Jackson Hole. I don't necessarily feel like, or I don't necessarily see every day that we have a homelessness issue in Jackson Hole. Can you just talk a little bit about, as someone who's working with this issue all the time, the prevalence of homelessness in Jackson Hole and how big of an issue it really is? Yeah. Uh, it, the uh, number of people, the number of families homeless in Teton County is unknown. There's not good data. Now, what happens when a family becomes homeless? You don't see them. They move from place to place, night after night. Uh, sometimes they live with relatives in very, very overcrowded housing. Uh, there's several uh, people reported to me that a fair number of families have literally slept on the floor of teachers at Munger School. So actually finding the precise number of uh, families in Teton County that are homeless at any given time is extremely difficult. But the view of the Good Samaritan Mission is no family in Teton County um, should be homeless without shelter. No one should be living overnight in their car. And no one should be living with their family crowded in a living room of a teacher. We need, like most communities in America, a place for them to go to get back on their feet. Thank you. And so let's go to the proposal uh, that you at the Good Samaritan Mission are hoping that people can get on board with. Can you just outline a little bit of what you are trying to build and why it could help? Yeah. Um, We've determined that it would be ideal for Teton County if we could build approximately 30 units of shelter made up primarily of small two-bedrooms and small three-bedroom apartments. Uh, recently, there was a fire and apartment development in uh, Jackson. In other communities with family shelters, instead of those five or six families scrambling to find a motel, a family shelter would be able to take them almost instantly. They could you know, get their lives back to order and find longer-term transitional housing um, but that's that's what we're trying to build is the uh, essentially small apartment dwellings. Usually when you find yourself homeless, you're one of the most vulnerable members of the community. Many times there's also food insecurity issues. Oftentimes there's job issues. Sometimes there's serious health issues. Um, but we, we'll, we'll examine closely why are you homeless and start fixing each of the components of what caused the homelessness. And so that's the real difference between Uh, just housing and what we're proposing. We're proposing transitional housing that's more than just housing. It's providing the support services that are necessary to get them back into independent living. You know, the town has to make choices with what to do with funding, what to do with SPED initiatives, and what to do with its land. I've been reading a lot of different proposals with different projects that people want to do with future funding. Can you just pitch a little bit of why this is important, why the town should choose this to fund and to really care about and, and put all of its effort towards. We know we're not the only ones, and we know that our elected officials will need to make some tough decisions. None of the beneficiaries of our housing will ever be able to go before the town council and say, we need your monies. We're out there speaking for the most vulnerable people in our community, people that may not know it today that a year from now they're going to be down in their luck. They're going to have a serious car accident. They're going to have a terrible illness. They're going to be abandoned by their spouse or abused by their spouse. 
And those are the people we're trying to represent today. Our goal from day one, and will be till this project's over, is to consider the town council and the commissioners as our partners. And we respect they've got to make some tough decisions. And they not may not be aligned with us on the dollar amount that we want. We don't know. But we do know they've made it loud and clear. They agree with the need and they support our cause. The mission is hoping to open the family shelter by the spring of 2024. You can also hear an extended version of that conversation at 891khol.org. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up next is a story from our friends at KZMU in Moab. Four Corners Canine Search and Rescue is the latest organization helping Native American families find missing loved ones. They operate mostly in the Navajo Nation, where resources for rescue are spare. Reporter Justin Higginbottom spoke with the founder of the group about what she and her two dogs find in the deserts of the region. Bernadine Bial has been working in search and rescue for six years, and she says it's all thanks to her dog. Actually, it's all because of my dog, Trigger. So I got him, and the lady we had got him from, she said, if you, if I was interested in an obedience class, that there's this class on weekends. So I started taking Trigger when he was eight weeks old. He started catching on to a lot of things. The lady that taught the class said that, you know, your dog's catching on. He's very smart. If you're interested, would you guys want to join Search and Rescue? He just was so smart that he caught on to all the exercises we did for air scenting, live find. Eventually, a couple years ago, he and I started working on human remains. She's based out of Farmington and soon found herself working with the New Mexico Badlands Search and Rescue Team. While working in the area, she was approached by families looking for their missing. A lot of them lived on the Navajo Nation and Bial's Navajo and knows how resources there are stretched thin. Navajo Nation police don't yet have a canine unit dedicated to search and rescue, although there are at least a couple of other dog-assisted teams working in the area. The demand is still high for help. My phone number started getting passed around, so I started getting these requests from families. So this past year, 2021 summer, was very busy. We were all over the place, me, Trigger, and the new dog I have, Gunny. My job is to pay attention to them. You know, I'm watching their motions. I'm watching their tail. I'm watching their ears. I'm watching their nose. I'm watching everything they do. And it's hard because it's two of them. So I'm trying to keep up with those two. Families in the Four Corners area are often left to search for their loved ones themselves. But it takes resources like gas money and time. And without training, those searching can end up contaminating an area. That's why I wanted to do this to help law enforcement out, to help these families out, because at least we could try to get there in a timely manner, get things going, get a command center set up and teach these families on what the process is for a missing person. The person could have left clues, like maybe their shoe, their saw, a piece of clothing, water bottle, and families end up picking these items up and taking it back home, you know? So, and that, that's the education piece of this, trying to tell them, you know, don't touch anything, leave it there. Try not to go into the area until dogs get there. 
It's usually only Bial and a couple of volunteers searching a large and wild area. They tailor their methods depending on what kind of call they get. Are we going to do a grid search? Are we going to do a hasty search? Are we going to do a tight search? It all depends on what type of area you're in and the person. So, you know, if it's an elderly and they have health issues, we're really not going to have time to plan like a tight search. We're going to go more hasty search where we're like, let's get out there. Let's find the clues. Oh, here's footprints. Let's start working from those footprints right away. She finds all sorts of things in the desert. Sometimes she wonders how they got all the way out there. Shirts and bottles and bones. Cow bones, coyote bones, and human bones. She says she's found remains on three out of her 10 searches since January. The real hard, difficult part we run into is when it comes to bones, because you have animal bones, you have human bones. So that's another piece of search and rescue that I really had to learn a lot quickly. Bial works a full-time job, Monday through Friday. She leaves at 5 a.m. and drives 40 minutes to reach work, so she can only search on the weekends or her days off. But she still finds time for operations, like a search of the Blue Mountains outside of Monticello back in November. Now she's looking to expand and train those interested in search and rescue in the Four Corners area, including in Utah. She says there's still a lot of ground to cover. Justin Higginbottom for Rocky Mountain Community Radio. Jackson's long-standing Grateful Dead cover band has been delighting audiences in the Tetons for more than 10 years. Next, K-12 music director Jack Catlin interviews two members of the Deadlocks about how the group jives with Jackson Hole culture. Formed in early 2010, Jackson's local Grateful Dead cover band, The Deadlocks, have built up a following with local deadheads and newcomers alike. The band takes great pride in their authenticity and representing one of the most revered musical acts of all time. Bassist vocalist Jed Frumpkin and singer-guitarist Chris Moen join us now in the KHOL studios. Welcome in, guys. Thanks for having us, Jack. With the Grateful Dead having one of the biggest fan bases in music history, can you speak on the band's legacy, how the music has lived on over time, and where you see it going 15 to 20 years from now? I mean, I think that's a really good question. You know, the legacy is certainly, it's apparent with everybody who, you know, you interact with that listens to the music. They all have their kind of like their different reasons why they, they keep doing it or what they clue into 15 to 20 years from now, I mean, the fact that you see so many young people, you know, in their 20s or even younger that continue to get into the dead, I don't see how that would, I don't see it getting a whole lot different. I think this, the wide availability of, uh, you know, particularly being able to listen to their live music, I mean, that'll endure. And I think people will keep enjoying that. Well, apart from their legacy, for you too personally, will you be playing the dead until you die? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't found a reason to stop yet, so it was a lot of fun. I like playing yeah. all kinds of other music, but certainly uh, the format that we've been able to um, 
I guess experience and play has been a has been a lot of fun with Jeremy leading the guitar and we're able to fall into line behind him. That it, it it opens up the music to a place where I wouldn't stop doing it any chance we get, basically. Well, here in Jackson and the surrounding Teton area seems to have a true love for all things Grateful Dead. Why do you think that is? Uh, my younger brother at dinner a couple couple weeks ago when he was in town, he had called out that like the name of the Grateful Dead is uh, when the, the folks that, and I'm, I'm not necessarily going to quote it right, um, but the, it reflects on the fact that when you're dead, you're grateful for your life. And I think that a lot of the people who find themselves out here are focusing on that and focusing on what life can bring to them, what can they can bring to the table, and it makes for a really good community. And with that, the people that are skiing the tram and skiing uh, biking around here or just going out for walks, hikes, it's we're all here to enjoy what we have, and uh, we're all very grateful for it. So in recent years, it seems like the Grateful Dead has gone mainstream a little bit with lots of people who aren't necessarily deadheads wearing band t-shirts, sporting stickers, etc., kind of appropriating that classic iconography. How do you feel about that? And have you seen it cross over into your world as the area's only Grateful Dead cover band? Early 90s, everybody in my high school had (laughs) dancing bears on their backpacks and their hats and stuff like that. And I know that those kids were not deadheads. Mm -hmm. So I think it's been going on for a while. It's more visible now. Uh, Perhaps John Mayer had something to do with that. I'm not sure. Or maybe it's just the fact that it's still an authentic experience that people are looking for globally. Chris, what were you going to say? I have a son. He's 14 years old. He's in eighth grade and he's got a lot of friends that are, you know, ninth graders and in high school. And I'll tell you what, a lot of those kids are wearing the new Teton Gravity Research Grateful Dead kind of like crossover branding uh, apparel. You know, it's definitely going on in that scene where kids just are kind of like gravitating towards something that they think is cool. However, my son and a couple of his friends are like starting to try to figure out how to listen to the dead, what they like, what they don't like. You know, they're like, I don't really like all of this music. I'm like, well, you know what? You don't have to like all of it, you know, and you don't even have to like any of it, but, you know, give it a listen. And if it turns you on, you know, pass it on to some friends. So you guys have a show, as I mentioned, under the tram on Saturday, March 26th. What else do you have going on? Like, what's next for you? Do you have a bunch of shows coming up this summer? How are you guys feeling about that? I think we'll probably wind up going outside in on the Idaho side again, at least once or twice. Last two years, we wound up playing over at the Spud and having a camp out party there, which was a lot of fun. The first year we did it in conjunction with KHOL, which mm-hmm. was really cool. We were able to stream it over here while everyone was mm-hmm. locked into their houses. So that was pretty cool. Last year, we opened it up and played with Sneaky Pete. Um, hopefully do something like that again. There's some other stuff cooking up over at some of the bars over there. We're not announcing anything quite yet, but okay. you'll, we'll be around. We'll play some of that. We also have the uh, JCB plays Jerry Garcia band. We've been at the ward a couple times. I think we'll probably go back in there, and that's a lot of fun, too. It lets us open up and just play some good R&B and funk Jerry Garcia style. Well, Jed and Chris, thank you so much for joining me here at KHL. This coverage is funded in part with an Arts for All grant provided by the town of Jackson and Teton County. Make sure to visit 891KHL.org for more music, news, and culture. I'm Jack Catlin, and this is KHOL Jackson. And now for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this past week. 
The Teton County Planning Commission voted 3-2 to two, twice on Monday in favor of building workforce housing at the former Legacy Lodge Assisted Living Center in Rafter J. The project has proven to be controversial and has drawn ire from neighbors for potential traffic, infrastructure, and quality of life impacts in the community. However, Planning Commissioner Casey Matiowski said the need for affordable lodging in the area goes beyond one location's needs. In my opinion, regardless of what you're saying with everything else, it's time for Teton County to start riding for the brand. If our brand's going to be to keep workforce housing people here, everybody has to take a hit. You're going to have new neighbors. You're going to have strangers in your neighborhood. But that's what we are as a community. The proposal would build approximately 57 units, but still has many hurdles to overcome, including votes from the Board of County Commissioners, approval from the Rafter J Homeowners Association, and even lawsuits that have been threatened over this development. The closure of the Legacy Lodge does mean that no assisted living facility exists in Teton County. Wyoming Representative Liz Cheney held a press call with Cowboy State reporters Wednesday shortly after watching Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's virtual address to Congress. Cheney described it as an unprecedented speech and said it hit home both the assault the Ukrainian people are facing and the nature of Zelensky as a leader. When he finished his remarks, uh, it was clear, you know, he seemed to be running his own tech. He, uh, you know, stood up out of his chair to, you know, go and, and basically turn things off in the same way that, that all of us have, you know, do, do when we're on Zoom. Zelensky made an emotional appeal for the U.S. to do more to support Ukraine against the Russian invasion, including implementing a no-fly zone above the country. Cheney says she has concerns about escalating the conflict, but she agrees that the U.S. can do more to help, and more quickly. The financial tech company Smart Asset analyzed 2021 tax return data to calculate how many people in each county in the United States donate to charities each year. They also looked at how much the average person gives relative to the median area income. On average, 15% of Teton County residents give annually. That's more than double the next closest county in Wyoming, Lincoln County. And those residents give about 10% of the average income in Teton County, over 10 times the national rate. A big contributor to these statistics is the fact that Jackson Hole has the highest income inequality in the nation. Other western resort communities, such as Aspen, Colorado and Park City, Utah, also rank highly in this generosity index. Wyoming Governor Mark Gordon held a press conference Monday where he reflected on the state legislature's budget session, which ended last week. Lawmakers approved of the smallest state budget in a decade, in addition to spending federal American Rescue Plan dollars. But their allocations toward mental health, education, and energy reflect many of Gordon's values. Still, he said further investments, particularly on the housing front, could be coming in the near future. It's not only Jackson, it's also Sheridan, it's Crook County, it's Gillette, it's Laramie County as well. Uh, and we really do need to address not only affordable housing, but, but housing for both lower incomes and middle incomes. Gordon also said he's excited to end the state's COVID-19 public health emergency declaration, which has been in place for about two years. He said the coronavirus no longer poses a threat such that executive action is necessary. However, a shortage of nurses and other healthcare workers still plagues the state, and so a few of the governor's provisions remain to maintain Wyoming's facilities.
That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band, Strumbucket. You can help us spread the word about Jackson Unpacked by leaving a rating and review for the show in Apple Podcasts, or just by telling a friend. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.